1395, Adelaide's 5AA. This is Jade Robran. Good afternoon and welcome to Afternoons with Jade Robran on 5AA. Nominations are open now for the National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Award. It's an award that recognises the outstanding achievements of a South Aussie who has dedicated time and effort to making a long-lasting difference to the lives of Aboriginal people in our state. Joining us to learn more, we're joined by Kirsty Parker, Director of Aboriginal Affairs and Reconciliation, and Dr Roger Thomas, Commissioner for Aboriginal in engagement. Welcome to the program, guys. Thanks, Jade, and lovely to be joining you with Dr Thomas. Nice to have you you too. Well, let's kick things off with you, Kirsty. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Sure. So um, as per your introduction, I'm working within the South Australian government at the moment, Mm -hmm. and um, I work in the area of policy for Aboriginal uh, affairs and Reconciliation. We're now structurally part of the Department of Attorney Generals, but essentially I um, I work in policy and um, we're working on obviously a, a wide range of issues that impact on Aboriginal people, but we've got some big things ahead. Um, some of your listeners may have heard of the Closing the Gap National Agreement, which is around making sure that um, gaps in you know, really vital areas like employment and education and health and so on um, between Aboriginal Australians and non-Aboriginal Australians close Mm. and that Aboriginal people have a say in how that's actually done. Um, And um, many other areas, including Aboriginal heritage, um, uh, at present as a consequence of the recent election, a focus on um, representation of Aboriginal people, and I know that Commissioner Thomas will speak quite a bit to that, um, but also um, a new agenda around treaties and truth-telling. So full breadth. Mm. But, um, so that's my job. Um, personally, I'm a ULRI woman from northwestern New South Wales. Yeah. I've been living here on Ghana Yurta or Ghana Country for the past four years and previously, but my family's lived here for about three decades. And essentially, uh, before my current incarnation working in policy. I've worked in a whole range of areas, but as a journalist, a communications specialist, um, a community advocacy, um, and now in policy. So um, I'm old enough to have a long and varied career. <laughs> what brought you to uh, Ghana Land in Adelaide? Um, so my folks, um, my mum was an Aboriginal woman and my dad is a non-Aboriginal fella. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved to um, Ghana Yurta, I think about 32 years ago, um, and I speared off and went and did things in other states and territories, but really wanted to come back home. I've made great friendships here on um, uh, Ghana country with Ghana people themselves, but also um, working in various communities like the community arts sector, mm-hmm. and also just to be close to my immediate family because. Um, my dad's pretty sprightly, but he's getting on a little bit, and um, I just wanted to be closer to them for a time. And also, I loved the opportunity that came up with the job that I'm now in. Can I ask you more? You, you touched on one of your roles as treaties and truth-telling. Can you expand a bit on that? Um, so this reflects the um, agenda of uh, the new government mm-hmm. um, to implement a... Um, state-based version of the Uluru Statement from the Heart that some of your listeners may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very proud to say that prior to my 
joining SA Government, um, I uh, had something to do with the process that landed on the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Um, Previously, when I was a co-chair of the National Congress of Australia's First Peoples, which was the representative body for our people throughout the country, um, we helped to bring about um, uh, government support for this process where there was a very big consultation in all areas of the country to ask people what their aspirations were and they came together at um, Uluru in 2017 and came up with what is essentially an overture to the Australian people saying um, we would like our nation to grow together and these are our aspirations in that process and we hope that you will assist us and um, the Uluru um, statement from the heart talks about three aspects or three mechanisms by which we might actually um, arrive at that place and um, it really is encapsulated by voice, treaty, truth. So Aboriginal people having a say in the programs and policies and laws that affect them Mm -hmm. and also the structural change that is required to enable that and people may have heard of the um, uh, Uluru Statement um, is seeking to have enshrinement of a national voice for our people um, in the Australian Constitution Um, and the other two tranches of that are around treaties and these are agreements that are made between um, Australian jurisdictions primarily the Crown and Aboriginal groups. Because Australia is the only um, uh, country with a colonial history in the world where a treaty was not signed with its First Nations people, so we're in a bit of a curious um, space, but we're trying to address what might have happened 230 years before Mm -hmm. um, had there been a mind to it and the will to do it and the commitment to do it. And also truth-telling. We know that um, there are some dark chapters um, in Australian history which people have said over the years we didn't know that these things happened. Mm. Um, the stolen generations um, which, uh, you know, went on and arguably continues today that those practices and the impact that it had on Aboriginal people and many people said in 2008 when uh, then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd issued the national apology. We didn't know about this. Um, Australia is unable now to say we didn't know about some of these things. We're really wanting to move it into the space of and what can we do about these things so that we can heal together as a nation. Kirsty, I mentioned you, you know, you mentioned just then that you feel like that it could still be going on today. Is that so? Um, if you look at the extraordinarily high rates of um, Aboriginal children within um, out-of-home care mm-hmm. and the child protection system. Certainly the numbers are alarmingly high. Mm-hmm. That's one of the areas that the National Agreement on Closing the Gap seeks to address. Um, you know, the governments work with Aboriginal communities to address not just, um, you know, sh- that there is shock, horror about the terrible statistics, but what can we do to arrest these statistics? Yeah. And what are the things that contribute to these situations? And how is it going? Um, well, I'm very pleased to say that the National Agreement on Closing the Gap um, has been going for uh, about a year. Mm-hmm. Um All governments in Australia have signed up to the National Agreement, so the Commonwealth and all states and territories as well. Um, And the principles of that agreement are really, really important because 
sounds like a very novel concept, but what government does, um, there is a real a flavour, I guess, of now doing things in partnership with Aboriginal communities rather than to Aboriginal communities yeah. because that's where we know we get successes. We know that our, our, our people um, achieve better outcomes when Aboriginal people are involved in the programs and policies that are delivered. Um, so it's about partnership. It's about supporting community-controlled organisations in every realm, um, about ensuring that government and government systems are fit to engage with this new process and also making sure that we know what the true story is. So there's an element around data sharing and access to data. So um, some of your listeners may know that the Prime Minister gives an annual closing the gap statement um, in Parliament and since that process began more than 10 years ago, there have been some areas where in terms of a report card, uh, the Prime Minister would say, we don't know how we're travelling in this area because we don't have the good data to start with. So the National Agreement seeks to address all of those priorities and, um, you know, it's certainly a an advance on the way that these things were done in the past and um, everyone's very hopeful for the future. We have some very ambitious targets in all of some of the areas that I've referred to, but there are you know, 17 socio-economic targets about all aspects of life for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people where there is, um, you know, varying degrees of a gap. In some cases, it's moderate. In some cases, it's extreme. Mm. And I know that um, most Australians would be dedicated to the task of living up to this idea that we are all equal. It's about equality and equity and making sure that no Australians are left behind and in this instance, this seeks to address that for Aboriginal people. I'd like to bring in now respected South Australian Aboriginal elder, Dr Roger Thomas. Doctor, great to have you on the program. I'd like to ask you about your role as the Commissioner for Aboriginal Engagement. Can you tell us more about that? Have we got you there, Doctor? No, he's dropped out. Okay, that's okay. We'll uh, we'll bring him back in <laughs> shortly. Um, let's talk about the... Oh, hang on. We've got him back. Sorry, Tammy's just told me my ear. Beautiful. Doctor, we're going to bring you in now. Thank you very much. Thank you. We just dropped out for uh, for a moment there. Yeah. So um, we're talking to a respected South Australian Aboriginal elder, Dr Roger Thomas. Um, doctor, I'd love to ask you, can you tell us a bit more about your role as the Commissioner for Aboriginal Engagement? Sure. Um the Commissioner for Aboriginal Engagement position was established back in roughly 2007 under the Mike Rand government. It's, it's been in place since then and in its broadest terms it uh, plays an advocacy role between the Aboriginal community and also agencies and organisations. Um, as a Commissioner, uh, it uh, involves... Um, looking at systemic issues that may impede or interfere with uh, Aboriginal people uh, being afforded uh, services uh, that everybody else enjoys. Uh, so that's in the broader sense. There are some specifics that um, in my, my role that I've taken on, obviously with Kirsty referring to some of the things that have come out of Uluru and prior to that, obviously the the topic of treaty then on the table. So I was uh, uh, the inaugural treaty commissioner in South Australia in 2017. Uh, but that's a different commissioner role than the one that uh, I 
have had for the last four years under the previous government and uh, there is uh, steps being uh, taken to uh, for me to continue as I understand it. So it's advocacy, it's uh, looking at uh, uh, those things that could impede system uh, or get in the road of uh, uh, I suppose Aboriginal people and, and access to full participation in government and, and services. Uh, and then big strategic uh, agendas sitting on different committees and uh, bringing the Aboriginal voice to the table through a commissioner. Kirsty, I'd like... It's a huge role, and together you're here to to talk about NAIDOC Week, and uh, can you give us a quick history of it and why it's so important? The the role of the commissioner? Commissioner Thomas? The, the role of the commissioner, or the, the importance of NAIDOC? Or the history of NAIDOC. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah. So yeah. The, the history of NAIDOC. Okay. Well, for me, and I'll just make one quick statement, and then uh, uh, Kirst can uh, can uh, follow up with her comment. Uh, NAIDOC week is is primarily a week where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, celebrate their their culture, their heritage, and and history, and come together to uh, to celebrate uh, that in terms of uh, the week allocated uh, on our on our calendar for the purpose of celebrating those kind of parts of our community. Mm. And uh, one of the things that um, I'm going to say, Roger, rather than Commissioner Thomas, because we're <laughs> we're having a <laughs> chat friends. here that Roger yeah. referred to was. Um, celebrating or um, acknowledging our history because and I spoke previously, you know, that there are some some aspects of Australian history that um, have not been ideal and so NAIDOC Week itself has been around since the early 70s. That's Mm -hmm. when um, the uh, NAIDOC um, commenced but it really does have its foundations much, much earlier, you know, 50 or so years earlier when um, Aboriginal groups um, began to protest about the status and treatment of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. And, um, you know, we saw the first boycotts of um, the 26th of January or Australia Day and um, organisations, really important organisations like the Australian Aborigines Progressive Association and the Australian Aborigines League were seeking to draw attention to um, the lot of Aboriginal people and, um, you know, the, they protested, they held marches, they held the inaugural, what was called the Day of Mourning in 1938 um, on the 26th of January and marched in the streets of Sydney. And it really was about um, trying to draw attention to what had happened and the need for Aboriginal people to be respected in the nation. Um, and obviously... There have been, uh, you know, many important milestones in the period since, but since the 1970s, there has been this formal week, which is um, held in July, for the most part, around the country, for the first full week from a Sunday to a Sunday, so it falls quite early, very cold in some places, like in South Australia, Um, and historically it has been... It has fallen or been celebrated or observed in some other jurisdictions like the Northern Territory in September or October, but generally speaking around July. And it's really become a time when, you know, we remember, we um, we um, we organise, we celebrate um, and we really shine a light on, I, I think, the very ma- many proud achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And 
Um, so each year there's a different theme and this year the theme is get up, stand up, show up, um, which I think is quite an inspired theme, particularly given the issues that we have um, ahead of us right now. And, you know, the point of the theme this year, and this comes from the National NAIDOC Committee, bearing in mind that there is a NAIDOC Committee in each state and territory, including South Australia. But um, this theme is about um, continuing to call for the change that we need to see, the systemic change, um, and to pay homage to the efforts of people previously in things like, for example, you know, environmental, cultural protections, constitutional change, truth-telling, um, and also working to address racism. These are the sorts of things that we need to do together. And even though there um, you know, can be a lot of fatigue within our community and also you know, the whole nation when there are challenging times, mm. we need to maintain the momentum because what we're aspiring to is not just important for the people involved, but it's actually a nation-building exercise. And one thing that I didn't mention when I gave my introduction was I've been a director of Reconciliation Australia for about 11 years, which is the body that seeks to improve the relationship between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians. And I know from my time with Reconciliation Australia that many Australians care. You know, Australians will say we're a fair and decent country. Um, and I know that Many Australians have this kind of whispering in their hearts that things are not right and we're not established in the right way and we need to do something to improve um, the relationship because that will mean we are a better nation. So um, NAIDOC Week really is a celebration for our communities. Um, we also have National Reconciliation Week um, earlier in the year, but um, you know that doesn't mean that non-Aboriginal people cannot... Um, I would say 365 days a year, but at any time during the calendar, reach out and try and learn more if that's what they need to do to be able to play a role in a, you know, a, a better nation for everyone. Jane Robran on 1395 Adelaide's 5AA. Good afternoon, it's 27 minutes past 2 o'clock and we're talking about NADOC week from the 3rd to the 10th of July, a celebration of the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal people and my guests are Kirsty Parker, Director of Aboriginal Affairs and Reconciliation and Dr Roger Thomas, Commissioner for Aboriginal Engagement. I'd like to ask who should apply for uh, the NADOC award? Dr Thomas, you may be able to answer this one. Well, yeah, as the advert says, uh, you're a person of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander descent. You're uh, at least 18 years old and you're a resident of South Australia, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. Last year you received the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award. That must uh, have meant so much to you. It did. Um, when you're uh, judged by your community and get awards from them, it's an absolute honour and uh, it's very special. So for me, I, uh, I felt quite honoured um, to have received such an award. Mm. Um, I might just add, um, so as uh, Commissioner Thomas spoke to some of the, I guess, the eligibility requirements for, or mm. expectations for people that are nominated for the awards, but it, it's really um, important that people understand that the Premier's NAIDOC Award 
it recognises outstanding achievements and service um, in an extraordinary way of people that have made significant contributions to Aboriginal people in South Australia. And we encourage people, people can self-nominate, but... Um, you know, there are many people out there who may know and um, nominations can come from Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, but know someone who's made a real difference in communities. And um, the nomination asks people to tell a bit of a story about that person and what is the difference that they have made and what have been, you know, their contributions. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, we've got, we've, the awards have been going, I think, for about, uh, about 15 years and we've seen some absolutely remarkable people um, acknowledged in them and um, it doesn't mean that you have to have been um, contributing for a lifetime or for the longest time but it's really about how it is perceived in the community the difference that you've made. And is there a website that people can go to to get more info? There is. They can go to um, the website of the Department of the Premier and Cabinet Mm -hmm. and um, just I can give the address now it's www.dpc.sa.gov.au and on the front page of that website there is a section on the Premier's Madoc Award and that gives people all the information about you know the closing date the actual nomination form that they can download um, and just some some background on you know the, the nature of the people that have uh, received the award in previous times and, um, you know, we really want to encourage people to just to think deeply. We all know people that have that are really special and they make a difference not just to their own lives or their immediate family's lives but whole communities and um, I guess people of that ilk that we're hoping um, to receive nominations for and we'd love to receive lots of nominations. Um, uh, over the years we've, you know, we've, we've had people nominated that um, may have been worthy of the award, but there was such a high level of competition. So I just want to encourage um, if you've nominated someone before, you may also nominate them again, um, but make sure obviously that your application is quite current and talks about the contribution that they perhaps are continuing to make. Wonderful. Thank you so much to both of you for being my guests. It was a lovely chat. So that website, www.dpc.sa.gov.au.